1: Montgomery entrepreneur and digital marketing agency owner today my guest is Matthew Harms he's a prolific writer and the mastermind behind pen for hire with a commitment to bring stories to life Matthew and his team guide budding authors every step of the way from the seed of an idea to a polished published book whether you're looking to write a story battle imposter syndrome or venture into the realm of real estate investment Matthew's insights and experience are sure to inspire and enlighten you Welcome to the show, Matthew.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Annie.
1: Yeah, I'm excited for our conversation today. I think a lot of people don't know what ghostwriting is, and it's a mystery to to so many, and it's such a really good uh, topic to discuss. So can we start a little bit about what inspired you to start writing and eventually offer your uh, services that you do, the ghostwriting, the coaching, the teaching through Pen for Hire?
0: So let me start by saying I was one of those people just about three years ago who did not know what ghostwriting was. I have been writing since I was a kid. It was just always something I enjoyed doing, reading, writing short stories, trying to create fictional novels at the age of 10, 11. And I carried that with me through high school where I started selling term papers for money. I now say that out loud because the statute of limitations to fail me has passed. But I was doing pretty well at it too. I think I wrote about 75% of my senior year English classes, term papers. I got the worst grade because I saved mine till 3 a.m. the night before. Yeah. No one ever knew, but that wasn't considered a real job. So when I would tell people that I wanted to be a writer when I grew up, the answer I got was yeah, no, you're going to go to college and get a good job, or you're going to become a cop, a fireman, something where you're going to have a pension and insurance. I'm not big on getting shot at or running into burning buildings, so I I decided to go the college road, got a degree in finance, spent the next 15 years or so doing that, hating just about every minute of it until I took a leap of faith in 2018, quit my job to start working with New York City public school, junior high school students, teaching them how to use writing as a form of social-emotional learning. So basically, use your words, not your fists drastic pay cut, but pay was here. With the other job, satisfaction was here. We went the complete opposite direction. Now it was super fulfilling, but I wasn't really making a lot of money. Next thing, the pandemic happens. School's shut down. I'm a contractor, so I don't get paid anymore. Now I have no income. I've got two kids to feed. I started joining networking groups and meeting other people. Was fortunate enough to meet an Amazon bestselling author whose business was doing really well. And he needed his second book written. He saw that I had written three of my own books at the time. And he was like, you're going to ghostwrite my next book for me. And I said, what now? And he had to explain the premise of ghostwriting. And I was like, I can't do that. I write for myself. And he was like, you can write for anyone. And I let him convince me. I think I did a pretty good job. He helped me set up after we were done. He was like, you need to do this for a a living. And he helped me set up pen for hire. He started referring me some of his clients and in the last three years since we started, I've helped over two dozen authors. My, my team and I have helped over two dozen authors get their work to market in whatever capacity we either served as coaches, coaches, collaborators, or full-on ghostwriting, where we wrote every word for them.
1: It's amazing. Yeah, I think that a lot of people don't get that all of their idols, the especially those who have a huge platform out there that that are a that you know they do public speaking they're very admired they don't write any of their books like they have ghostwriters that do that for them and i didn't learn that until i started to work with three different public figures and watch the process and meet tons of ghostwriters and one public figure had five proofers several ghostwriters and yeah they hadn't written a book In years and everyone, but they did. If you go out to the bookstore, oh, sure, tons of books. Yeah.
0: Very eye opening.
1: Yeah, it really is. And in some ways, it takes what, when you know it, it takes some of the excitement out of reading a book, unless, unless you really love what they teach on. But if you put anyone on a pedestal, and you think, oh, they sat down and wrote this book. If you get into that romance of it versus the information, I think sometimes it's, oh, well, they didn't really write this. And But let's talk a little bit more about that because, and, and we'll dive deeper into your process of how that is done. So you can rebuttal a little bit of what I just said. But let's talk a little bit first about why do you think it's important to delve into deep narratives And how has that shaped the way you write and guide others that you work with?
0: Most of my clients are all thought leaders. They're entrepreneurs, speakers, coaches, consultants. They have a wealth of information that the world can benefit from learning. They also have the same 24 hours in a day that the rest of us have. So the ability to touch more people gets limited by that time constraint. What is some of the founding principles of why people do business with other people. It's because they know you, they like you, and they trust you. What better way than to get someone to know you, like you, and trust you than to be transparent and to to dive into a narrative of who you are, what you do. I am not a ghostwriter. Ghostwriting is something that I do. But at the end of the day, I'm so much more than just that. We're all the sum of our experiences. Everything that we've gone through in life that's gotten us to where we are today and I think when you help people peel back that curtain a little bit and see that this person who's making seven figures today and running multiple businesses, they didn't start there. They started somewhere very different. And that starting point may be where their intended reader is at today. So to make that connection, they need to, the reader needs to see that, hey, this person is just like me or they were, they are they were where I am. 20 years ago, and they've just done X, Y, and Z to progress forward. So that's really where I think the narrative is important. Human beings have been sharing stories and messages since cave paintings.
1: Yeah. And I think that's a very important component to point out related to ChatGPT. So I have some guides on how to write a book, write and publish a book with ChatGPT. And basically it's, it does your outline for you. And it does some of the, it works really well with informational type content and it will produce the foundational information stuff, but it doesn't include like what you were saying, the stories you've got to go in and add the meaning to things. You've got to go in there and add your stories and why things are work this way or how you tried X, Y, and Z, right? Unless it's a, a procedure manual, (laughs) right? Right. It takes a little bit more.
0: Yeah. And I'm honestly, I've just written two articles on the topic. I, I would even hesitate to say even a technical manual or a procedure manual. Chat GPT is not perfect. It is still just a tool. If you ask it, I, I use it often as well for outlining uh, blogs or getting ideation going, but you have to go into chat GPT knowing that it's not infallible. When yeah, and
1: you, and you have to another, feed it, right? You've got to you can't just go in there and say, create me X, Y, and Z. You have to go in there and give it a lot of information in order to get accuracy.
0: And you no. need to have some base knowledge of what it's spitting out to say it's right or it's wrong.
1: Correct, yeah, yeah. And that's example. I have a guide that I have in one of my courses on how to write sales copy. Okay. And it's a chat GPT prompt. The prompt is two pages long. Just to give you an idea. So it's not like you go in there and put a sentence and there's a couple of things that you've got to fill out, right? And then it's narrowing it down. But I have a full on teaching that goes along with that of the order that sales copy has to be made, the psychology behind each piece of it and why it's got to be in that order and what it does and why, right? If you don't have that, just going into the guide, you're not going to get very good stuff. You're not going to know, even if it spits it out in order, you're not going to really know what else is missing, what else needs to be added and why.
0: Yep. And that's very much a part of my process with books as well, because if, if you just start writing someone's book and you don't know their why, you don't know what direction they want to go with it, who their audience is, if you don't have all of those prompts and all of that. We'll call it metadata. Yeah, you're just, you're just putting words on paper for them. It's a bunch of stories. That are they really related? Is it linked? Is it gonna? Is it gonna resonate with their audience the way they want it to? Exactly. Yeah,
1: there's so many moving pieces. Let's see. Yeah, uh, let's talk about how you are. You set yourself apart from maybe others in your industry. What makes you different?
0: I think really what makes me different is the product. I'm not selling books. You, you really can't sell someone a book. I just had this conversation on a webinar I gave today. You can't sell someone a big ticket item, right? So you don't walk into a car dealership and walk out with a car you didn't want because someone sold it to you. You, you don't, A real estate agent doesn't sell you a half a million dollar house that you don't want or can't afford. You, you've got to have some buy-in there. So I don't. The, the book is the means for me. It's not the product. The product is, what are you going to use your book for? And how can I help you achieve that using your book as another tool.
1: Yeah, that's really good. So for those that are unsure about their content, maybe they really want to write a book or maybe they're working on something. How do you help them figure out what has value in their writings? And have you ever encountered someone battling imposter syndrome? And if so, how do you help coach them through that?
0: Oh, so I'll probably start that one back to front imposter syndrome is rampant and it doesn't, it's not particular to any demographic, any socioeconomic level. I've had people who make well over a million dollars a year say, I don't know that I have anything valuable to say, or why would someone want to read my book? And it's mind boggling to me because I'm not nowhere near that level, but if you just do a little research and they talk to you in, in a consultation and you find out like what they've done. And I can just throw out random, like you you created an AI startup for healthcare where medication is going to be more closely monitored. And they, they, it's just what they do every day. So they don't see the the wide scale impact and the positive good it can do in the world until you or, or I start to talk them through that. And that's, Really one of the biggest talents, I think, in ghostwriting or really any writing for that matter is you've got to listen twice as much as you actually write.
1: Yeah, that's really good. So a lot of people that start writing, they get stuck in their manuscript. They're uncertain about the next steps. How do you guide them in transforming their work and from just having a Word document to a tangible book?
0: So there's a couple different things depending where they're at in that journey, if they've stalled and they, they've they got maybe 50% of a book, 75% of a book, 10 pages with just bullet points and ideas, we will really spend a meeting or two to get to understand, again, what what the strategy behind the project is, and then figure out what's going to be the best option for them. So sometimes it's coaching. If this person has taken it this far, they're 75% done, we will work with them in a coaching capacity, develop, very much like developmental editing on the go. We'll read what they have. We'll give them some advice on what's missing or what we think is missing, what could be beneficial to a reader, and give them the blueprint on how to finish it themselves. If they're on the other side where it's just like, nope, I, I've taken this as far as I can take it and I just need it finished, then we'll engage them. We'll do the same thing we, I just mentioned. but now. We're going to go through all those questions we have and have them talk us through it, right? So, this is, we, we think this is missing. Tell me more. And we're going to go and write it as them because that's the second biggest trick of being a ghostwriter isn't just taking what's in your head and putting it on paper. It's making it so that when you deliver a speech, if you're a speaker, or when you do one on one coaching with your clients, the person who's showing up, the voice, the tone, it matches the book that you wrote.
1: Like that. So there's a lot of individuals out there that either they don't like like to write or they find it super challenging. How do you extract their stories? You've talked a little bit around your process, but how do you ensure that their voice shines through that final product?
0: Lots of conversations, Amy. Lots and lots of conversations. To really be an effective ghostwriter, you have to be able to ask good questions that aren't yes or no questions that aren't just very Direct answer, you you gotta get them thinking about the bigger picture and not be afraid to keep asking, right? What I tell all of my clients is leave it all on the table where no one is reading anything right now. The only people working on this project are you, me, maybe my editor or project manager. So don't worry about censoring yourself. Let it all come out. We don't have to use it all. But when you try to hold something back because you don't want that to come out, you wind up holding back all the other good stuff that's behind it. Okay. So just get it all on paper. Get it all on paper. And then we can make a final decision as we clean it up. Do we really want to keep this in here? I, I will say 50% of the time, some of the things my clients didn't want to go in the book wound up becoming their favorite part of the book.
1: Interesting. Yeah. And I think that sometimes, yeah, that it's that vulnerability and that you know that everyone's going to read it. Yeah. So let's talk about the the time constraints. And you mentioned um, how to write 50,000 words by writing um, for half an hour, three hours, three days a week. I also want to add to this is a question around, does a book have to be 50,000 words? Do you, if it's close, do you just keep on going so that it can fit that printed book and have a nice spine Or what do you do in that situation? And yeah, yeah, and how do you handle that?
0: That is such a great question. And word count, page count, it's all so subjective, uh, which is why when clients will ask, how much do we charge per word? I don't charge per word. I charge per project. And we'll we'll usually have a pretty wide range where your book is going to come in somewhere between 150 and 225 pages. And the reason for that is... You don't want to just fill a page with words that are meaningless just to achieve some phantom page count or some phantom word count. Do I think 50, 60,000 words gives you, on average, a nice 200 page book? Sure. But does every book need to be 200 pages? Absolutely not. When it comes to paperbacks, we've had some clients print a 90 page book and it was amazingly well received. We've had clients print a 300 page book and for their audience, it worked. There's no hard and fast rule. The book is done. the story's told
1: i like that what's interesting is i remember i won't name the, the individual but she had written a book super popular on social media and she had written a book and it went viral everywhere i looked i saw it everyone loved it it was a movement and whenever she advertised it online, she would just be these images, her with the book next to her. One day I had not, I had not purchased it. And one day I lo- saw it in the bookstore and it was thick, but, it, and, and a hard book, but it was small. It was just this really tiny thing. I don't think there's even a template out there for, a, 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 she must have had a very specialized template made. But that just, that opened my eyes because I thought, oh, wow, like her book really isn't 200 pages. But again, to your point, it was this viral thing, right?
0: Yeah. And things like that, I don't know the particular person in question, but I know being in the industry, I see all types of manipulation to try to make a book look bigger than it is. You, As you just said, you shrink the trim size. You add a couple blank pages here and there. You make your margins a little bigger than they need to be. You go one and a half point. The formatting issues are endless of what you can do to make a 90 page book look like a 175 page book. Do I advise doing that? No, because it looks, it doesn't look good. If you get a professional design team and they do it great but really what matters is the message.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think my first book, I've written four books now. My first one, you're going to laugh. I put a journal in it. <laughs> it actually needed journaling in it, but it did it need it? No. It didn't need lines, pages of lines. <laughs> I um, be the
0: first to admit my first two books. I look back now and I, I must have had that um, fictional 200 page mark in my head because the formatting is nowhere near what I'm doing these days. I did that one and a half space to achieve that goal, like I look at it now, I'm like, oh my God, I got to redo these. But
1: <laughs> right, right. My
0: perception of what is acceptable has completely changed. Some of the best books I've ever read are less than 100 pages.
1: Yeah, I and my first book, I don't even agree with anymore. So I took it down. It's still for sale, like pieces of it. There's books out there, like you just, you can't completely remove it. I think Barnes & Noble still has it too, but I I want to go in and rewrite the entire thing. But it's, and it's interesting to to write a book like that and you put your whole heart and soul in it and you would really believe everything and then you're like oh wow i've grown and i i need to go out there and add more change it so let's talk about another the editing beauty- i'm sorry
0: oh i was just going to say that's another beautiful thing about all the tools we have at our disposal these days you, you don't it's not like whatever you've done you're you're locked in for perpetuity You can go in and adjust your work, issue second editions, take it down, really whatever you want to do, sky's the limit.
1: Yeah, definitely. So let's talk about your editing process and because that can really make or break a book, right? And having a good editor, it's really difficult to find. And I would say from experience, never ask a friend or somebody that you just know that says they're an editor. What qualities do you believe make a good editor and how do you ensure you you incorporate those?
0: I make it a habit of not editing any project that I personally work on. So that means books I write for myself. If I'm heavily involved in the ghost writing of a book, I'm, I'm not doing it because the human brain cannot catch your own errors. It's a proven fact. At some point, you just read what you think you wrote, not what you actually wrote. Unless I have a one-off client who wrote their own book and they just want editing service, that'll do. And when I'm looking, when I'm personally looking at it, I'm doing it twice. I I don't, and maybe there's editors out there who can, everyone works different, but I'm reading it once for content, for development. I'm not worried about the misspellings. I'm, I'm not letting my brain... Just line by line, I want to read and absorb the content and say, okay, does this book stand on its own before I start saying you missed a period and um, there should be an S at the end of that word? Because if the author is going to have to go back and make substantial changes anyway, one, I'm wasting my time because now like, I got to go back and do that again anyway. And two, that there are two different sides of your brain, in my opinion. So the developmental side is the creative. I'm just, I'm absorbing The copy line editing is the very much attention to detail. So the editors on my team, I have maybe one or two who can do both at my level. But for the most part, when it comes to copy line editing, I know who that has to go to. I know they're they're not looking big picture. They, They don't really care. They don't want to read the book. They get a thrill out of going through and finding out where the missing punctuation is. They they get a thrill of striking through. And I have other editors who just don't want to be bothered with that. They want to read and identify those gaps, like I said.
1: Nice. So let's talk about one of your books. You have a book on real estate investing. What prompted you to write on that topic and what can readers expect to gain from it?
0: So that book, it's titled Get Real. It will be issue. We're going to go live October 31st. Okay. The reason I wrote that book, multiple reasons, Uh, I'll be very honest. The first reason is I started to feel like an imposter because I preach to my client. Now, again, this is coming from someone who's written three other books. But I haven't written a book in probably three years because for three years I've been ghostwriting and I've been getting paid to write other people's books. And every day I tell at least two or three people why they need to have a book and how a book can help them in their business. And then I would get asked, so what have you written recently? And I'm like, I haven't. I'm also, my, my other business is I'm a real estate broker. I do real estate investing and I've been doing it for a number of years to the point where people would ask me questions in passing about real estate. And next thing I know, I've given them a 15 minute explanation and they would look at me and say, oh, my God, like you know so much. Why haven't you written a book about this? I don't know. I only write books for a living. So finally, I took my own advice. I made my assistant schedule those three 30 minute blocks a week on my calendar and told her that under no circumstance could they be moved. I don't care who needed to reschedule. Those times were not available for anyone. And on top of that, at the end of every week, she held me accountable and would ask me how many words I've written for the week. So for everyone listening, it's not about word count. It's absolutely not. For me, that was just what I used to, to gauge my progress and make sure that I really was producing and not just sit, sitting at my computer for those half an hour blocks. And in the real estate market right now, for anyone who doesn't know, is incredibly competitive. There's a, There's a lack of inventory, interest rates are high. So I would say 90% of realtors are starving because there's no business out there. So that came into play on top of why haven't I written for myself is if I'm going to separate myself from the thousands of other realtors out there, how do I do that? Doesn't hurt to be able to say I'm the guy who literally wrote the book on real estate.
1: Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit because you and I had chatted about this prior to the podcast on writing books that may not be like aligned with. Your current career or business or whatever it may be, and veering off into other types of books and publishing those. What's your opinion about doing that? Does it somehow put you into, does it confuse people? Does it hardline you into a specific niche forever? What's your opinion on that?
0: Amy, if you would have asked me that question six months ago, you would have gotten a completely different answer. Because at that point, I didn't advertise to anybody that I was in the real estate industry. Nobody knew. Any new client, like as far as they were concerned, I was just a ghostwriter. It wasn't on my LinkedIn. I didn't talk about it. And then I started to realize like that, because I feared that's what it would look like. Oh, he's a jack of all trades or he's only a half a writer. He's really in the real estate world. And it finally dawned on me like, that's absolutely not the case. Most really successful people out there aren't just masters of one subject. My clients, they may be a sales enablement expert, but they, they also know a ton about transformational leadership. The two aren't mutually exclusive. So there's no reason I can't be great in real estate and still be a great ghostwriter. Do I think there are points where if you don't have the right strategy for why you're doing it, it can get confusing? Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, and I, my books, the first ones that I wrote, the, all three are religious and spiritual. It has absolutely nothing to do with digital marketing. And I had 100% branded myself. I was a minister for years and years. I have eight, eight years of Bible college, which now I don't talk about. I downplay. I make sure that if anyone sees that, it's very small. And my book is still out there. People, if they if they Google it, like one of them is still out there to I completely took down their smaller, they were smaller ones. So they were, and those one, yeah. And they print, they went to print, but they were smaller. So they were easier to pull. And what's interesting about that is, is after I wrote that one and I was, and I would travel and speak and I've sold hundreds and hundreds of those books. So when I switched from that realm and being known in that realm to now marketing agency, Obviously, my journey of becoming a having running an agency, becoming a CMO, doing all this was a long journey, right? It it took place over several years. And so I had several years to transition who I was, transition my content online. Every once in a while, somebody will go onto my Facebook page and scroll, like, five, 10 years ago and find some spiritual post that I made and comment on it. I'm like, why are you scrolling back that far? But for the most part now, nobody knows me. It's very rare for people to know me for just the people that used to know me from my first phase of life. But you can reinvent yourself multiple times in life, I think. And I think that's important to remember as well. We've got phases and we've got compartments, and we're not one dimensional. Now, I will say online, if you focus on one specific thing, it's very good to sp- focus on one specific thing on like a social media platform. I'm not a good example on that, of that on TikTok. <laughs> on TikTok, I post everything you could imagine, but on my other big, but TikToks that way, you can do that. But over on my other social media platforms, like I don't. I'll stick to the topic at hand. And I think that it's difficult to cross promote just because it's the AI you're fighting against. It says, oh, now you're the, you're now you're this. I'm confused. What are you? (laughs) Who's your audience? So, anyway, that's my little rant of it. I've gone through that a little bit, but I didn't notice necessarily any negative impact. In fact, some people that find that I wrote the spiritual book and I'd be like, oh, I don't agree with anything I said, they still want to go read it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah if, if someone if you've built a brand or someone values your voice and, and what you've said they're still going to want to read what you've written
1: yeah they want to know that I guess that phase of my journey that phase of my life right mm-hmm. yeah so in walking through your journey now what are you grateful for
0: I'm grateful for what i initially wanted to be spiteful about so looking back one of the one of the pitfalls you can fall into is saying man if only i discovered ghostwriting so much sooner in life right if someone told me about it when i was in high school and technically i was ghostwriting term papers i probably would have taken it and run with it however I don't know that I truly would have appreciated one, the responsibility that comes with ghostwriting two the the philosophy or the realization that it's not just about the book. It's about what the person's going to do with the book. And I, I wouldn't be as appreciative for what I get to do now had I not spent that 15 year hiatus doing something I absolutely hated. Because now when, when I have the worst My worst day as a ghostwriter is still better than my best day in the financial world.
1: Yeah, I love that. So, what do you think has been your truth that has gotten you this far in your journey?
0: Man, that's a good question. I think really learning to be more thankful, not to go spiritual. I kind of struggle with that after 16 years of Catholic school and getting that indoctrinated, but really just all religion and everything aside being grateful and looking around and saying, I like so many people would be happy to be where I'm at. I get to work from home. I get to make my own schedule. I get to choose what clients I work with. Uh, I get to attend everything that my kids do when I want to. There's no one I have to ask for permission. And really just my, my truth of what's important in life. Because when I went to school for finance, when they said get a good job, I only picked finance because I figured I'll go work on Wall Street and make a million dollars. Now, I don't really care if I make a million dollars a year. If I'm able to provide for my family, if I'm able to provide value to everyone I come in contact with, instead of trying to sell them things they don't want or need, like I did for so long, that's so rewarding.
1: Yeah. Gosh, I can relate with that too. A lot of people don't get, I'm a marketer, but I don't do it for money. And there are people that I work with that do everything for money and they don't understand that. I'm like, all I want to do is just be with my dog. Like what, (laughs) but it's like those meaningful things. I just want to be able to work from home, be with my dog and my parakeets garden, do the things that I love and, and then help the people that I'm called to help, help get their message out. And that's really what I feel my calling is. I'm supposed to get the people, help people make money, help get their message out, send them out to the masses and, and I'm completely fulfilled. And then the money is just, it's great that I get to do what I get to do from home. And fulfill my dreams. And as an entrepreneur too, sometimes you're rich, sometimes you're poor. <laughs> it just, just depends on what season you're in. But yeah, but ultimately that ultimate purpose is so important.
0: Yeah. And it, it really shines through for your clients too, right? They can tell when you genuinely care or when you're just looking at them as your mortgage payment or your next car payment. And
1: yeah. <laughs> if I don't
0: sell you something now, I'm not going to eat tomorrow. That that doesn't work.
1: Yeah, definitely. So Matthew, if there are people that are uh, wanting to work with you, what's the best way to contact you?
0: Best way? My website, pen for, www.penforhire.com. You can fill out the consultation form. If you want to email me directly, you can do that as well. Matt, M-A-T, at penforhirenyc.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn, Matthew Harms. We have a, a Pen for Hire company page. All of our social media is penforhire or nyc. So really any way that is most comfortable, but the most direct way would be to fill out the consultation on my website. You'll get a booking link and we can jump on a 15 minute call to talk more about your project uh, and anything and everything surrounding it.
1: Perfect. And I'll put all those links down below. Thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your expertise.
0: It has been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Amy.
1: Yes, definitely. If you're listening, you want more information about this podcast and upcoming shows, you can visit calltothrive.com. Thank you everyone and have a wonderful